Jason Stark from The Athletic and MLB Network. And we're going to make you wildly uncomfortable here. By I just want to read the first two or three, uh, like the first five sentences from your column on TheAthletic.com about managers quick. And, uh, and then you can tell us. Well, I'm just going to read this and ask you a question. So you wrote the long time, a longtime front office man sat in his team's dugout one day last season, eyeing the dugout across the field. The topic was the two men who would manage the baseball game to be played there that night. Quote, our guy is a manager, he said, then paused. Their guy is a middle manager. So what is the difference right now in baseball between a classic manager and a middle manager? Yeah, well, what he was referring to, uh, we were talking about the game played the previous night and what might happen that night, was... All right, a manager is Guardy, Tom Kelly, you know, guys who were empowered to run their team their way. And a middle manager, um, I would say he was, he would, he would define this way, a guy who is handed a script by his front office or his data department or his analytics department before the game and then manages the game that night according to that script or tries to. And so there's no gut involved here. Right? There's no managerial experience to be drawn upon here. It's we like these matchups, we want to avoid these matchups. We want to ma- we want to run the bullpen in this order, you know, th- th- that sort of thing. And it, I wouldn't say it's push-button managing, but it's scripted managing. I, I don't think that we're at the stage where every team's doing it or half the teams are doing it, but I do think a number of teams are doing it, and it's trending in that direction. And it really made me think about where managing is headed. How about you guys? Do you like it, Jason? It's different, but do you like it? You know I'm I'm not one of those people who says, ah, oh, things were better in the good old days. The the thinking that is going on in baseball right now is the most interesting part of the game for me. But I don't like this. And, you know, I think that managing needs to always be a blend of all of it. Everything in baseball should be a blend of all of it. Um, and I've seen so many managers now in the last couple of years who have been there, who have done it, who are good at it, get pushed out of the game, all the way out of the game. And what do we what, what do we see? We have 11 managers now who had never managed a major league game before 2018. And so there's a lot more scripted managing going on because they haven't done it. Um, I, I think we're underestimating the meaning, or at least the potential meaning, of having somebody in that job whose experience makes them understand that if I go to this matchup or this pitcher in this spot, here are the ripple effects. Here's where it's leading. And to be able to see over that horizon. Are they managing any less, though? Because I would, I would imagine, Jason, that you know managers like, say, Rocco Baldelli, for our purposes here in Minnesota, even though it might be somewhat push-button once they get in the dugout and the game starts, they're in those meetings. They're heading up those meetings where they're coming up with that script and with that game plan and deciding how they want to put the information at their fingertips to use 
on the field. It's not like they're just handing him a script and saying, go manage the game, are they? Yeah, I think that's accurate, but I, I do think that uh, they're... I don't, I don't want to pinpoint Rocco, mm-hmm. uh, just because he's only done the job for two weeks. Sure, yeah. But I do think that managers are being told, uh, hey, we love this reliever on this part of the lineup, even if it's not late in the game. It could be the middle part of the game. And so they can't wait to get themselves into that matchup. But then what? You know, Then there's still nine outs to go or six outs to go, and who are getting, getting those outs? And when the game doesn't follow the script, things get messy. That's kind of what I'm referring to. I, you know, I did talk to a bunch of front office people for this piece. I wound up in the end deciding... I was just going to use quotes from the managers, Terry Francona, Joe Madden, Bruce Bochy, Ned Yost, because they were so good and so thoughtful. But I, I did have a general manager say to me that there actually are more decisions now, not less, because of what you just said. It. Yeah. Uh, you can read the full, wonderful piece at theathletic.com slash MLB. If you want uh, the deep dive on just the manager dynamic right now, do you think the Mets had figured that they would have to replace Jake Degrom early in that game against the, <laughs> the Twins lineup? Yeah, I figure when they scripted that one out, they didn't see it. What do you What do you think? Yeah, no, I'm guessing no. And I mean, so we we all you know we led the show with this today, and that if if the Twins were to take over the American League Central, a bunch of things would have to happen. And I know it's only been two weeks, but the fact that Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, and Byron Buxton, the three young hitters that you need to break out, two of them were, were given long-term contract extensions as sort of, you know, hey, we believe in you still this offseason. And for those guys to tee off on Jake DeGrom, we're feeling pretty good about the Twins here after two weeks and wondering if we should, you know, what else should we be looking out for here in the American <laughs> League landscape? He didn't even mention Mitch Garver. I know. Two bombs last wrong. night. Been talking about him all day, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's become a decent catcher. I'm still trying to digest that game. Right, Jacob Baum hadn't given up three home runs in a month since last June, and then he gave up three and ten hitters, yep. two of them to Mitch Garver. Yeah. This can't be happening, but it happened. And, I, you know, I, I, I like the Twins. I, I really do. Um, I, I think there is tremendous potential in that lineup. And, hey, what Michael Pineda did was really encouraging. I don't think they're a perfect team, but I think they're in a league full of, with a lot of teams who are barely even trying, who are worse than them. There's a really short group of, of teams that are, that, that's potentially good enough to play in October, and they're in it. Um, how how good, in your opinion, are the eleven and two Mariners? And conversely, in the American League, Jason, how bad are, are the three and nine Red Sox? Um, you know, the Mariners. I, I, I don't think they're this. You know, they like yeah. they're, they're just not going to hit three, four homers every game, let alone five. Uh, I do think they're better than people think. They're not this much better. Um, I I think. A lot of folks misunderstood what they were trying to do over the winter. You know, Jerry DePoto used that term, reimagine our, our team. And, you know, they, were, they knew that their core group was getting older. They knew that they had to get younger. They were trying to reconfigure for a time, maybe two years down the road, where um, the American League West looks, can look potentially very different. 
Um, think, look at all the Astros free agents, for example. Um, and it turned out that they could do that and still be competitive. So that's what they are. The Red Sox, I feel sorry for them because I, I, I don't ever remember a defending champion that had a schedule like this to start the year. 11 games on the road, no off days, three time zones away. Um, but I, I am concerned about them because I think they're a reflection of why no team has repeated in almost 20 years. Think about how their starting pitchers were worked almost to exhaustion last October, you know, especially Sale and, and Evaldi and Rod- Rodriguez and Price and Purcello all work significant innings in the bullpen. It takes a toll. Nobody has figured out how to deal with the repercussions of that and that, ro- that rotation. Think about how good they were last year. 0-8 with almost a 9 ERA. Wow. Talking with Jason Stark of The Athletic and MLB Network here on Mackey and Judd with Rami. Jumping over to the National League. I don't know if you know this about me, Jason, but I'm a Cubs fan, Chicago native. How worried should I be? Things to see, seem to settle down for that bullpen in the last couple of games. And really, I mean, the offense, which was their Achilles heel last night when it all fell apart for or last season, I should say, when it all fell apart for him. They've been hitting the ball this year. It's just that they haven't been able to stop other teams from hitting the ball. How worried should Cubs fans be at this point? I, I think there's a lot to worry about. Right? I think they're in trouble. Um, they scored double-figure runs five times in ten games, and they're three and seven. Uh, I mean, they're the only no other team in baseball has lost any games in which they scored in double figures, and they've already lost two. And I, I just worry about them because they're in the wrong league, they're in the wrong division, and I think they've got the wrong pitching staff. Their bullpen has almost a 7 ERA, even after you know the last couple of games. Uh, the OPS against their starters is almost 1,000, and yet I can see the rotation stabilizing. I'm not sure how they fix the bullpen. Um, bullpens are volatile, and maybe that's going to be a good thing <laughs> for them because they're going to take they're they're taking chances on guys like Alan Webster and hoping that's the answer. But I'm worried. Jason, how is it that teams like the Cubs and even the Brewers, right there in their own division, who had a dominant bullpen last year but have had some injury problems to start this year, they've had some bullpen problems, and they're yeah. not the only two teams. How is it that Craig Kimbrell is still unsigned? This is mind-blowing to me. <laughs> it really is. He feels like the solution to every team's problems. Right. Doesn't he? Yeah. And uh, you get ten teams right now with bullpen ERAs over five. I, you know, I was at the ballpark in Philadelphia last night talking to a lot of people about it, and it's really interesting because think about spring training. Like The one thing you just can't simulate at all is how relief pitchers are used. They don't throw a meaningful pitch in spring training. They don't, they don't have the, the, the days where they get up three times and then they get in the game, or they don't punch back-to-back or three times in four days. None of that happens in spring training. Um, Craig Kimbrell is somebody's secret weapon. I can't tell you whose because this isn't, he, I, he's not going to sign at some kind of bargain rate. He's not going to sign for a year, unless it's a big overpay. He's still looking to get paid not just closer money, but elite closer money. I I just don't know who's given the guy three years and like 
sixty million dollars yeah. in the middle of the season. I mean, that, so I'm on the record saying, just on the Twins' behalf, because there was a rumor out there. Someone reported, I don't know, a month or two, probably like a month ago, uh, in the middle of spring training, that the Twins had offered three years, forty five million, and that they were one of the leaders in the clubhouse, but Kimbrel was holding out. And I said, I'd, I'd, I'd honestly give him, and this is early spring training. Three years and sixty million. The the two things that would scare me off, maybe three. Thing number one is why does nobody want him? Uh, two, the last glimpse we got of him in the postseason was mostly a disaster. He walked everybody. Uh, there was hit by pitches. Uh, opponents had uh, a three eighty on base percentage against him in the postseason. And then thing number three would be some of the evidence we've seen, Jason, of guys pitchers who don't face live hitting in spring training. You don't just walk in and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're at the top of your game. So there, what, there might be a roughing up period too. And I, it, the further along you go, the less likely he is to get what he wants. I would think. Um, I agree. Now, what he wanted initially was six and one oh six. That's not happening. Yeah, it's aggressive. Right, but but it gives you an idea of what the eventual price tag he would like to be and how much he's looking for per year. He's one of the greatest closers who ever lived. Uh, go back and look at his first half last year and tell me he can't still pitch. But that doesn't mean there's not stuff to be concerned about. You just mention a lot of it. Uh, walk rate is a big concern. Uh, it's been going up almost every year. He's still unhittable, but that delivery is a little odd. And he clearly lost his delivery last year. I know the Red Sox said he was tipping pitches, but I know for a fact that they also thought that he wasn't even picking up the target, hmm. you know, until he, like a millisecond before he released the ball. And so it, it, it's going to take some work when and if you sign him, but it really bothers me that he's not signed. And I think the, it, the agent messed up here. But it is a sign of a system that's not working right. Chris Archer, sir, what are we to do oh. with with a guy now? Now <laughs> I'm all for make baseball fun, and, and I get that there's some people in baseball who simply don't like that. But Chris is a different cat because he wants to make baseball fun for himself. But if you watch a home run, he doesn't like that. So what what are we to do about guys who who essentially want a double standard applied, which is I can moonwalk if I strike you out, but if you hit the home run, drop the bat and run, or else I'm going to hit you. It, it, this is so confusing. Yes, agree. <laughs> Thank you. It really well. Um, I keep watching the "Let the Kids Play" commercial. Yeah. Right, which the let's like you can't selectively apply the let the kids play motto. <laughs> let them play, uh, except for that guy. I think, that, the, that guy I think can't the, play. I think the pirates are saying let our kids play, just our kids. Nobody else gets to play. <laughs> like I guess in his defense, Derek Dietrich did watch that home run for a really long time. I got seven seconds when I watched it. That's a long time to stand at home plate. Um, so I, I I understand where this comes from, but we, we we've got to get everybody to let the kids play handbook. Yeah, what, <laughs> what, right by the unwritten rules, play? Jason. What what would what what would Chris Archer have done, or some of the? I mean, Chris Archer's not even an old school soul, right? I mean, he's what would some not of these all. dudes done if in if if like the Joe Horn equivalent, where he hit 
not only anticipates scoring, but hides a cell phone in the padding of the goalpost. You know, like what's going to happen? What's going to happen if Bryce Harper pulls out a phone and calls somebody from oh, the batter's box? That. That'd you be know, great. Take a picture of it uh, while it flies out. I don't know. My I went to the bookstore. The unwritten rule book was out of stock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just I just don't know what to tell you on this. I, like none of that made any sense. Yeah. Not to mention he didn't get thrown out of the game, but he did get suspended. Right. For, yeah, for five it. seconds. Jason, uh, the thing about it that confuses me the most is the, the protocol that umpires have in a situation like that. So Dietrich watches the home run and then exchanges words with Cervelli while he's crossing the plates. Every, the next time Dietrich comes up to the plate, everybody in both dugouts knows exactly what's going on and what's about to happen. You had Yasiel Puig literally standing on the top step waiting for exactly what happened. <laughs> Yet the umpire waits until Chris Archer throws at a man and then issues warnings to both teams. Why not issue warnings as soon as you know there is bad blood and something might happen? That's an excellent point. Um, there is the leeway to do that. Um, I, just given all that you just described, how did Chris Archer not get thrown out of the game? Yeah. Everybody who was coming. Like the, 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 didn't the Pirates... Twitter feed, uh, right before that at bat, tweet out a let the kids play. Yeah, yes. Yes. Starring Chris Archer. Everybody knew what was happening. (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, Jason, let's fire this up here. Weekly trivia with Jason Stark. We're one for one, but you lobbed us an underhanded spring training pitch, and we appreciate that last week. I I did, and... uh, I don't know where this one came from exactly, but I need help. But since we had a twin cycle the other day, I thought I would have some fun with baseball's least interesting feat when guys are a triple away from the cycle. Okay. Okay, now the only two twins (laughs) in the history of the franchise who have had at least 15 games where they were at least a triple away from the cycle. That's the two you got to come up with. I got to games a triple away from the cycle. Got to imagine Joe Maurer is one. Am I, you guys, you guys with me on we'll that? Go with Joe sure. Maurer. Okay, sure. yeah. So Joe Maurer is yeah, one. Yeah, he was. Okay, yeah. okay. Seventeen of them. And there's one more. Yeah. Who was too? You say that Joe was not a, much of a triple threat then, huh? Who was no. too slow? Who else is too slow <laughs> to get the third? <laughs> Justin Morneau. Justin Morneau hit a ton of doubles and a ton of home runs and had good batting averages. And my question would be, so he came in in 2004. Did he have enough of those between 04 and 2010? And I'm going to say yes, unless you guys call me off on You want to go with Justin Morneau? Kirby? Could it be Kirby? Could it be... Oh, man. I mean, nah, Harmon, Harmon Killebrew I was gonna probably say, had a it, lot of... I was going to say, because Kill, Killebrew was definitely not a triples threat. Um, I, I want to say Kirby Puckett. All right. Did you hear the breath Jason took when I said Kirby Phil, Puckett? Phil, do you want to go? Something there. Phil, do you want to go? I Puckett? can't. I think. I think it's Morno, but I can't die on this hill because I'm guessing too. So okay. well, let's go. Let's go with your gut here. Okay, Ryan. so we're okay. gonna go Joe Maurer and Kirby Puckett, Jason. This is amazing. You got it, man. You Whoa! got it, Robin. Oh! Robin got it. Yeah, yeah buddy. Yeah. You oh, could tell. Right. Yeah, you could tell when when Jason was like. Uh, Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, that was a tell. Gave it away, Stark. That was a tell. The new guy's pretty bright here. Really? I'm not uh-huh. even going to breathe from that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was right behind it was that Tory Hunter. Oh, really? You know, who's next is Williams Astadio. Yeah, he's going to be. He's the next guy. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> is, he, is he ever going to triple? 
I don't know. You know what? Knowing him, absolutely. It'll be glorious, too. He'll like somersault to third base. He, does, yeah, he just does like the, the gymnast backflips from yes. second to third base. Like it. It'll be great. He, he did walk. It was tremendous, right? The only, like, oh. the only walk of, his, of yes. 2019 includes him falling down, taking a swing. <laughs> and he, was so he struck out last night, and, but he claims it was a pitch in the dirt. He claims he foul-tipped it, and I tend to believe... Williams Estadio. He makes contact with everything. Of course, so. he never lies. I believe yes. everything the man says. Jason Stark from The Athletic and MLB Network. Great stuff. And uh, people, go read. It's a, it's a great look into the evolution of manager duties on theathletic.com slash MLB. Jason, we'll talk next week, man. Yeah, great to talk to you guys. Thanks. All right, good stuff. Jason Stark, one of our favorites. Oh, I feel really Dude, good about you, myself after that. You just, you're, you're two for two. You How just proved that? yourself in a big Thank way you. in that segment. Appreciate it. Thank you. Because there's a lot of times where I would not have, go back and forth. I would and, not have picked Kirby. I want to be there. The Mauer one makes perfect sense. I would not have picked Kirby for that. Yeah, I, I, just, figured, I just figured longevity and the extra base hit power and not the greatest speed in the world, especially when later in up, his career. Yeah, I was going to say, when, when he came up initially, he had some speed. He, he was not that big. So, yeah, I would not have picked Kirby. Good, Nice work. There. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Full stomach, too. Mm-hmm. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.